Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. Oh, what a goal! For For Chemist Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage moving and Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football. You're with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley to run the rule over the past week in the world game. First edition news with Willem van Denderen shortly. And during the show, we'll be joined by our 250-game veteran of the Victorian Premier League and former Notts County man, Dean Hennessy, and our former ITN journo-turned-pundit, Derek Dyson. And it's a huge show this week with A-League finals, the Euros kicking off this weekend, Socceroo World Cup qualifiers and Matilda's friendlies. But of course, we're going to kick off with the biggest story of all with the Asian Games, Scott McIntyre, off the back of the official announcement of football's worst kept secret that Ange Postacoglu has officially been announced as coach of Celtic in the Scottish Premiership. We'll talk to Scott about that and also a stack of other stories in Asia, the AFC Champions League, the three Australian representatives have withdrawn from the continent's flagship cup competition. We'll find out what the fallout will be there. And of course, we'll talk to Scott about the... uh, Q8 World Cup qualifying hub. Just not Australia, of course, but uh, plenty of other countries. Uh, some doing it tough uh, as well. We'll find out from Scott. We'll talk to Adelaide United's Carl Viet ahead of his side's elimination final against the Brisbane Roar on Saturday. And of course, we'll preview both that game and Saturday's other knockout fixture between the Mariners and MacArthur to wrap up the hour. In the second hour, Willem will kick off with second edition news and the latest on the Socceroos in camp and the Matildas ahead of their final Olympic friendlies. And then five years ago, when Edge, Dino and Willem were all in Russia for the World Cup. Back home, we had some fantastic guests from all over the world, including Croatian journalist Alexander Holliger, who gave us a taste of how the incredible run of the Vatreni had lifted the entire country. Alexander joins us again to look ahead to the 2021 Croatian squad and whether they can repeat the heroics of 2018. Of course, we'll wrap up the entire tournament with Dino and Del and close the show with stoppage time. Edge, how are we going to pack it all in into two hours? I don't know how we're going to do do it, uh, Rob, but uh, do you know there is a link between Ferenc Pushkas, Ange Postacoglu and Scottish football? Do you know what that link is? Well, I know um, Pushkas uh, certainly has uh, Australian connections. I think I've mentioned on the show, I went to school with one of his grandsons, Stephen Pushkas. Um, so Scottish uh, football, no, I'm not getting that final thread edge. Well, in us. 1960, on the 19th of May, Real Madrid and Eintracht Frankfurt uh, played, a, played out a famous... Uh, uh, European Champions League final. Real Madrid 7, Eintracht Frankfurt 3. Uh, a 33-year-old Ferenc Pushka scored four goals at Hampton Park uh, in front of 127,000 Scots who were inspired by his sparkling performance. He, he inspired the generation of Scots and 31 years later, as coach of South Melbourne in Australia's top flight, um, he inspired Postacoglu. Students of the NSL will know that Pushkas coached South Melbourne. Um, his English was virtually non-existent, but his Greek was fluent, and Ange Postacoglu became his his change room interpreter. So the circle turns, and Pushkas mm. ins- inspired Postacoglu, and it could be all about to f- fulfil his destiny back in Scotland at uh, Celtic Park. Isn't that a, a, great a wonderful story. little story, that one? Yeah, it's fantastic, and it's surely that one will uh, will get picked up in the Scottish press as well as they're sort of looking for the credentials of Postacoglu, of which we all know they'll find plenty. But, uh, yeah, that's that's a fantastic connection. And Willem, you've got some more news about Ange Postacoglu and all the Socceroos action from the Middle East. I do, Michael. Ange has been confirmed as Celtic manager on a 12-month rolling contract. The club stated his Australian pro licence had been recognised by UEFA and that it'll now arrive in time for their pre-season camp and a compensation fee has, of course, been paid to Yokohama F. Marinos. So, Rob, 
This is hugely exciting, but they say that contracts in football these days are not worth the paper they've written on. Is a 12-month rolling deal as non-committal as any deal you've ever heard? Look, it is, Willem, but uh, we all know that it, it might as well be 12 weeks. Um, he, he needs pretty much immediate success uh, at Celtic, and uh, he'll stay 12 years if he gets a result. So I, I don't think Ian should be concerned. I don't think any of us should be. Um, it's uh, really all success-based, and uh, Ian just saying the right things. The one thing I noticed in one of his first utterances was that he was referring to Celtic as us straight away. So uh, I think that's the sort of thing that Postacoglu knows the nuance and the subtleties of what needs to be done to, to get uh, um, his credentials well and truly established early. So yeah, no problem for me. And no doubt about that, he's got a challenge, Rob, hasn't he? Because in the first phase of the European qualification, he's got Galatasaray, uh, obviously the Turkish giant. He's got the Danish giants, Michiland, and he's got Rapid Vienna from Austria. Should he get through that, he'll have to play a home and away league against the winner of Genk from Belgium. They've got Eindhoven from the Netherlands and Spartak Moscow from Russia and Sparta Prague and the Czech Republic. So he'll play one of those. And if he gets through that, he'll then have to play the winner of of uh, Shakhtar from Ukraine, um, Monaco in France and Benfica in Portugal. So he's got three, you know, should he get through all of that, he will be a hero. That is a mountain to climb just to qualify for the European Championships, or European Champions League, I should say. And Jens, it gets even better. Ange wasn't the only Aussie manager to land a big job in Europe this week. Joe Montemuro is going to coach Juventus' women's side from July the 1st. Since their foundation in 2017, Juventus have won all four domestic titles available to them, though they've never progressed beyond the last 32 in the Champions League. The Serie A women's competition is a 22-game season that runs from late August to late May. So like and Rob, uh, domestic success will be uh, assumed and will be required. Uh, European success will be what is desired for Joe at Juventus. Yeah, but he's uh, he's got um, the uh, the credibility from Arsenal as it is. I, I think uh, obviously uh, this underscores uh, just uh, the the quality of the man, and uh, at the very least, uh, his uh, his star is on the rise. Uh, does he stay with women's football for his entire career, or does he? move to, to men's football, um, that's going to be a, a question on, on a lot of observers' lips. But uh, uh, the um, the Italian uh, um, top flight has, uh, has improved dramatically as a lot of the continental competitions have over recent years. So obviously they're looking to him to, to step it up to that um, that similar level of the women's uh, uh, league. But we did see, you know, with the quality of the Italians in the last World Cup, didn't we, Edge, when, uh, when uh, they um, gave us a bit of a lesson. The Socceroos have comfortably accounted for their first two Q80 World Cup qualifiers over the past week, defeating Q8 3-0 and Chinese Taipei 5-1. 26 players were used across the two matches, including six debutants, with seven separate players on the score sheet. Next up, we'll face Nepal early on Saturday morning and then the biggest clash of the group, Jordan, on Wednesday. Michael thought we could have a quick chat through both of the games. Firstly, against Q8, I was really impressed uh, with the boys. The two early goals effectively ended the contest, but we've seen from there that Socceroos narrative in Asia before the second half sort of drags on in hot temperatures. The opposition get a goal back and then it's a bit of a scramble uh, across the last 20 minutes. Didn't happen. Aiden Rustic snuffed that danger out as soon as the game sort of started to drag. Not as convincing against Taipei or Taiwan, uh, but it was a, a young side. I thought Arnie tried a new formation with the 4-2-2-2 the two, 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 with the two holders, the two wingers, uh, and the two strikers, which he then ditched in the second half because it was just too sort of flat. It effectively became a front four. With their, they played five at the back. No room for a player like Jamie McLaren. Ditched it in the second half, and uh, they were able to do a little bit more with it. So I thought two good matches to start. And Chinese Taipei, we've only conceded two goals in both 
to Chinese Taipei. They scored a goal against us in Kaohsiung in, in Taiwan way back whenever that was. It seems like a, an eternity ago. But, um, yeah, Ryan McGowan in the first game, he, he obviously played with Sydney on the weekend and then he got the uh, the flight over to uh, Kuwait and then he played a whole 90 minutes. And I loved his tweet. He said, uh, that was fun. Uh, um, still still struggling to breathe, let alone uh, run around and play football. So that would have been a shock to the system. But um, Harry Suter, uh, he's got five goals in three games. Not a bad start for the big man. The tallest player ever to play for Australia, Willem? Tallest outfield player, Michael. I'll pick you up with technicality. Oh, yeah, okay, we're still in a minute. Jeez, he's tall though. <laughs> Harry Sugar stands out on the football yeah. field. And a final one from me, Rob. The English clubs that attempted to join the European Super League have agreed to 30-point deductions and fines of £25 million should they attempt something similar in future. They've also pledged £22 million of investment into fan groups and community development as a gesture of goodwill. Meanwhile, UEFA has paused their proceedings against Barca, Real Madrid and Juventus as they clarify whether the order they've issued against them is relevant in all European jurisdictions. I think they're pretty confident uh, that it is and that those three clubs are still going to face some sort of reckoning. But Rob, from an English sense, hopefully we can all move on from that saga now. I think they've uh, been contrite enough. It sounds like the divide's still there, though, because those other three clubs on the continent uh, um, are still uh, digging their heels in. So just uh, incredible that uh, that they haven't formally announced when um, this kind of announcement comes. Uh, just uh, amazing. All right, boys, we'll, uh, we'll wrap it up there and uh, go to Scott McIntyre. He uh, is uh, over there in Tokyo, and we're going to find out just uh, what his reaction is to uh, the worst-kept secret in football, that Ange Postacoglu has been announced as the head coach of Celtic in the Scottish Premiership. That's all next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? The Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial yes, goal. This is Box to Box on 9 Radio, NTS News, TalkSport. And we did say off the top of the show, it's been a massive week in football. A massive week in Asian football. Plenty to get through with our next guest, the Asian game, Scott McIntyre. But no bigger story than the announcement uh, in the past 24 hours that the rumour has finally uh, come true. Ange Postacoglu is the new coach at Celtic. Scott, great to be talking to you under such incredible circumstances. Yeah, 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 it's fantastic. I, I was um, kind of tipped off to this um, about a week ago that was pretty much across the line with um, a few little details that needed to be um, clarified. Obviously, one, getting out of the contract here at um, Marinos, my understanding is that there was a buyout uh, within that, um, whether that's been activated or not, um, I'm not sure. And then the other one was just converting the um, the AFC coaching uh, qualifications across the UEFA. I, I think a request came through from the, the Scottish FA uh, yeah, about a week ago with that, and that's all been wrapped up as well. So today, yeah, the announcement was formalised. It's, um, it's a real curious mix if you read the responses to the uh, to the message on Twitter from um, uh, from Celtic. Uh, it's um, yeah, I mean, it swings both ways. It doesn't seem to be any middle ground. You know, either. Um, the, the fans love it or, or they think it's absolutely dreadful. So um, the blowtorch is going to... I've, I've done actually quite a few um, interviews over the past week with Scottish media as well and get a real sense that, uh, you know, I, I think this is going to last six weeks or it's going to last six years because um, he's, he's going to get a lot of um, heat from this section of disgruntled fans. Um, and, you know, we in Australia, our people across Asia have been following his career and know what, um, yeah, the, the, obviously the calibre of... Um, of the coach that he is and you know we have no doubt that um, it's going to work and that he's the right man for the job um, so you know yeah I wish him the best I'm sure you guys wish him we all wish him the best but there's no question at all that the the heat and the pressure is going to be on um, yeah straight straight from the get-go 
Scott, just before we leave the um, uh, the Ange Postecoglou story and, and focusing on the the Champions League news uh, about the Australian clubs pulling out, um, what's been the reaction of the Japanese uh, Marinos fans and also just the Japanese media in particular about him ending his contract uh, be, be before the end of it, obviously terminating the contract or getting out of it to coach Celtic. And are the fans, uh, are they upset that he's leaving? Because he's been so successful and, and obviously he's developed a great rapport with the fans as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's uh, delivered the club their first uh, league title in um, in, um, in 15 years. Uh, oddly enough, the, the last game, the, the game is going to go out and there was um first round of um, Emperor's Cup games, just like the, the Japanese FA Cup and... And uh, Yokohama were actually one of um, the three J1 teams that, um, that lost <laughs> in the first round. They lost to um, basically a semi-professional team. So um, he's gone out on a, on a bit of a low with um, those lost, lost on penalties in that game. But, um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, the fans understand it. The club understand it. It's not as if he's, um, uh, I don't know, you know, leaving to go and coach in the, in, the, in the Tajik First Division or something. You know, I mean, he's going to a club that's um, involved in in qualification and, and frequently, you know, competing to get into the European competition. So, in a way, it's good for the club. <laughs> you know, it's good for the club. I think it's good for Japanese football. Um, I'm hearing that there could be some, uh, you know, Japanese players, um, players from the J-League that could potentially um, be lured across as well. So, uh, you know, I think people here understand that it's um, it's a, a watershed moment, really. I mean, you know, I'm not since um, Arsene Wenger left from uh, the J-League to, to, to go back across to Europe. Um, has there been such a move? And, and in a way, it's in theory, I mean, hopefully should open the door uh, for other coaches here because, you know, as hard as it's been to break through this ceiling to get an Australian coach into a, uh, you know, a club with uh, European ambitions, it's even harder uh, to get other uh, AFB um, coaches. And let's not forget uh, what Kawasaki are doing or what they did last year and what they're doing in the league um, this year with a guy like Toru Oniki, who, if you looked on paper, you could say has a better track record than Ange. So, you know, if Ange has success, then uh, my hope is that that will open the door, not as far as um, Australian coaches, but other coaches from right across the AFC will also be given uh, a chance to succeed in Europe. Yeah, so it's a watershed a moment. It's a huge moment that comes with huge um, expectation, uh, excitement, burden uh, and pressure. But, uh, yeah, we, we wish him the, the best of luck because it's, um, it's something that can really, uh, you know, pave the way for, for other coaches, um, as we saw with the you know, players going from Australia 15, 20 years ago across Europe. You know, those first kind of the pioneers um, and Angie's, um, in a way, are... A pioneer, you know, we've we talked, um, you know, before uh, Arthur Pappas, um, who unfortunately had to return uh, to Australia for for family reasons. You know, was doing a good job over here in Kagoshima. Pete uh, Plomovsky's had four games in the league with uh, Yamagata in J2. He won his first three and drew the other, um, and you know, already um, setting out a benchmark of that um, uh, patented style of Ange football. You know, that Arthur has taken their own elements, Pete's taken his elements, and added to it. So, if Ange has success, it opens the way for these other coaches who you know, come off his tree, if we can use an expression to also get um, closely looked at in Europe, not just these guys, other coaches in the A-League. Um, so, yeah, so it's, it's a fantastic moment and a really exciting one. This is Box to Box. We're talking to Australia's leading Asian football journalist, Scott McIntyre from the Asian Game. Scott, the news this week that uh, three the three Australian clubs, Sydney, FC, Brisbane, Raw... And Melbourne City have pulled out of the Asian Champions League um, edition. Um, obviously, Sydney was due to play in Uzbekistan. Um, Brisbane was due to play in Thailand. And Melbourne City in 
in Japan in hubs. Um, that news has uh, obviously been a, a difficult uh, pill to swallow for uh, those clubs, but what is the fallout for, for those clubs? And um, last year's edition, uh, Perth Glory were were threatened with a significant fine and a three-year ban for with, uh, if they withdrew from the hub. So have things changed? Do we have enough excuses to avoid a fine and, a, and an unfortunate ban for these clubs? Yeah, I'd be very surprised if, if that happened. Now, there, there has been no formal announcement. I suspect there won't be until uh, the group stage is uh, completed. And I wouldn't be surprised, perhaps, if we don't even see some other dominoes fall with other clubs. Um, withdrawing as well. You look at the, as you mentioned, I think three, the, remember this is the first expanded uh, Champions League as well. So they completed the the West uh, edition of the group stage in bubbles that went off fairly uh, successfully. But uh, of the five um, groups, I guess, loosely we can um, term it the East. So three of those in Thailand, the other two uh, in Uzbekistan. And look today, I think there was 30 odd deaths, um, you know, 3,000 new cases in uh, in Thailand, and these are the kind of numbers that have been occurring daily for a long time there. So it would be, um, yeah, it would be pretty um, unusual for, for the AFC to sanction clubs on this basis. Particularly, there's been other clubs that have withdrawn from the tournament uh, already prior to the Australian clubs, and they didn't or haven't um, received any sanctions um, either. So I'd be very surprised if things happened. But yeah, as you said, it's a disappointment, you know, for a, especially a club like Melbourne City, you know, a club with global uh, ties who've um, you know, long spoken about wanting to be on this stage. You you get there and then you can't com- you compete. You know, Sydney's been the benchmark team in the A-League for the last couple of years, same thing. It hasn't worked for them so far in Asia. It would have been um, uh, curious to see how they would have gone um, this year and then Brisbane as well. So it's um, it's disappointing uh, for the A-League clubs. Um, you know, the AFC has just um, you know, rejig things around. So they've um, cancelled some of the... Uh, preliminary playoff stages and, and, you know, just move teams up directly either into the group stage or to the next phase of uh, qualification. So logistically, it was um, all handled um, quite easily. But, yeah, I, I just wonder, particularly in the case of Thailand, if you, if you have these numbers, how can you uh, continue with these, um, you know, kind of bubbles? And, you know, I think we're going to get on to the World Cup now because we've seen the same issues that have been going on with players um, and, and COVID and all these things. Um, with the World Cup qualifiers as well. So, you know, so it's a week or so now until the, the Champions League in the East is due to um, kick off. So we hope it goes well. But, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised, um, you know, perhaps if some other clubs uh, looked at it and thought, yeah, you know, geez, is it really worth the risk? Scott, I just wanted to ask you one more question on the uh, on the Champions League before we get on to the World Cup qualifiers. You mentioned that the clubs might escape sanction, but they'll still probably be punished. Uh, the Australian clubs as a whole will be punished in terms of the AFC coefficient. Now, last year, the results didn't yeah. uh, count because of COVID. That's actually no good for Australian clubs because the victory got out of the group. So could you just quickly explain how the coefficient works mm. and how precariously the Australian clubs <laughs> are sitting in terms of the pecking order? Or maybe it's not possible to explain it quickly, the coefficient. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's exactly, it's not easy um, to explain it um, quickly. I'm not sure I entirely understand it either. But um, as you said, that's a very um, good point because it's done on a rolling um, cycle and obviously performance in the tournament is actually one of um, the important uh, weightings within that. So absolutely, it's going to have an impact. And, and in a way, that's actually one of the, the major um, decisions that's worth looking out for is how um, that is going to be weighted because, uh, you know, I already we're at the stage where we've only got one direct entrant and, and the two qualifiers. So if anything's being shown from that, um, yeah, it's not good for, for the clubs at all, but equally, you know, who, who knows when this whole pandemic thing is, is going to end as well. So, um, yeah, it's, it's obviously not just, you know, like, as I said, other nations or clubs from other nations have already 
um, pulled out from this, uh, what happens if other clubs do in the future, you know, that it may be that they need to reassess the coefficient and almost put an asterisk through, um, you know, the last uh, 12 months or so and, and then move on from there. And we couldn't let you go without uh, asking you about the World Cup qualifiers which are going on as we speak after that long delay. They're being punched out in pretty rapid time. Australia, Syria, Japan are all through Qatar as well as they're the hosts. But one of the uh, the Asian powerhouses are doing it the hard way at the moment, that being Iran. Uh, they've sort of pulled it together after a couple of early losses, but they're still second behind uh, Iraq in their group. So uh, what, where's it been going wrong for them and where have they sort of pulled it together to our scramble results? Yeah, well, they've got a new coach um, or newish coach who hasn't had um, much time with the squad. Um, he's made um, some decisions that haven't maybe been universally regarded in terms of player call-ups, but they had a huge um, and very important win uh, over Bahrain a couple of days ago, which has put them right back into the reckoning. I think the coefficient's hard to explain. Trying to explain the second place um, in, in um, you know, the four teams that goes for in second place is even harder because North Korea uh, withdrew um, a couple of weeks ago and that's um, seen results expunged. And then certain teams, I think, who've uh, finished fourth have had their goal difference readjusted accordingly. You need some degree uh, in mathematics to, to, to kind of work it out. But, um, yeah, so Iran are in a tricky situation. Um, but, I mean, you know, we've seen Korea stumble as well, although they uh, recovered in their past match. So, you know, I mean, it, 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 for me, it's a positive thing that we see. You know, we talked about it previously, that we want to see other other Asian nations uh, being competitive, um, reducing the gaps. Uh, here in Japan, it's been pretty much a, a procession for the Japanese. They've um, absolutely um, put some hidings on uh, Myanmar and Mongolia. But the, the point I was getting to before, so, so obviously this is going on in group stage as well. So Japan is hosting uh, their group, which involves uh, Kyrgyzstan, who came into Japan, um, uh, I guess about a week ago, got tested on arrival. I think they had um, no cases on arrival. They tested them the next day. They had one a case, but no tracing was done. They tested them then on the weekend, and then they had three, and then it spread to you know, half the squad. So they had to go out and play their match against Mongolia a couple of days ago without, uh, without a goalkeeper. <laughs> the entire... Um, you know, three keepers in the in the squad have ended up with it, and they've ended up losing to Mongolia. You know, which has has really damaged their hopes of World Cup qualification. So it's just us, and and prior to that, they were supposed to play Jamaica in a friendly, and they couldn't come because of um, COVID as well. So it's um, it's just a such a precarious situation right across um, the continent that you you know we don't know. Are we just talking about football things? Are we talking about logistic things? Are we talking about virus and an impact on that? So. Yes, it's a qualification process like uh, no other. It's going to be a World Cup like um, no other. And we've still got another stage to get through. So, um, yeah, I mean, heaven knows how all that's going to happen. The World Cup is due to kick off, what, in just a little bit over 12 months, right? So, um, yeah, the AFC must be crossing their fingers and just hoping that, that all this um, can be done. And, yeah, Asian football fans want to see the big nations there. So South Korea uh, getting there, Iran getting there, and then maybe some of the, the smaller nations um, kind of making things uh, interesting that final stage as well. Scott, it's always a pleasure to have you on Box to Box. And there is a, cl- a silver lining in every cloud with uh, Sydney FC dropping out of the Champions League. One of the great names of Asian football has got their chance in the group phase, Chiang Rai United, commonly referred to in Thailand as the Beatles. And we love the, we hope the, we wish the Beatles all the best. I reckon that is a great name for uh, one of Thailand's uh, top top uh, teams. But uh, thanks, Scott. That was been a fantastic little interview. Ange Postacoglu, Asian Champions League, obviously World Cup qualifiers in the hubs through the Middle East happening at the moment. Uh, we'll have you back on the show soon. But after the break, we're going to be talking to Adelaide United's coach, Carl Viet, on his season and their prospects in the final, the big finals match against Brisbane Raw. Box to box. Can you believe it? 
for a chemist warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box on 9 Radio, NTS News Talk Sport. It just seems the competition has gone so quickly. The A-League, the finals are this weekend and we've got some pretty big fixtures. It's the elimination finals time and we are joined by Carl Viet ahead of his side's elimination final against the Brisbane Roar on Saturday. How are you, Carl? Yeah, I'm good, guys. How are you? Yeah, really good, Carl, and uh, and it's just great to see um, after the uh, you know the disrupted season that we've had that we've managed to get the full season away and uh, and that um, you know for uh, the most part we've had crowds at, at most games and uh, and that we can expect uh, some you know local support in in most games. But um, Brisbane, they finished a point off top of you on the ladder. This is going to be a pretty difficult uh, assignment uh, uh, on Saturday. Yeah, most definitely. Um, you know, I think Brisbane. Um, you know, when you look at the record, they can you know want to have one of the best defences in the league. So it's going to be a, a very difficult game for us, um, and it's important that we you know make sure we've got our um, attacking weapons working on um, on Sunday. Carl, you set pre-season goals of making the finals. Uh, congratulations. It is an achievement. It's a significant one too. Um, just tell me, um, how does that achievement give the playing group confidence that they can kick on and uh, and do some damage in the finals? And who knows, uh, you get a win on the weekend, you're only one away from a grand final. Yeah, most definitely. I think, you know, at times this season, um, some of the football we've played um, has been has been excellent. Um it's just been a shame that we, we just haven't been able to get uh, our, you know, our best 11 on the pitch enough this year to you know be higher up the ladder. So you know, our playing group are very confident that they can you know, go a long way in, in this final series. Well, you certainly have got um, the talent because you've actually beaten every other top six team at home. It's just been the away uh, the away matches that uh, that you've struggled in. Yeah, I mean, it's... Every every team um, from time to time struggles away, but you know what is the difference about playing at home at Hindmarsh and away, and the impact of that on form? I mean, I, I guess if you knew knew the answer, you'd be coaching uh, Manchester United. But it is United, an, yeah. it's an obvious question to to ask in the in the context that you've beaten all the top six teams at home. Yeah, look, I think there's a couple of factors. You know, our support that we get at home is um, second to none. Um, and I, I also believe the, the, the stadium and the pitch it makes a, a huge um, difference as well. Because you know, I think our our stadium is most probably the only um, standalone football stadium in the in the in the country. So our pitch is, you know, I think the best pitch in in the A League, and and it allows us to play a very fast brand of um, football when we play at home. Yeah, you certainly do. Now, um, we've, there's been a lot made about the emerging talent that has had an opportunity in the A-League this year because of a co- of the COVID season, reduced salary cap, uh, not as many internationals. But it's also uh, been a fantastic opportunity for young Australian coaches, including yourself, Carl. And we should ask you just to reflect on um, your appointment at the start of the year and just the experience that you've had uh, coaching in the A-League, full-time environment. Uh, we all know that you're a decorated you decorated playing career and you've coached in the local leagues as well. But the step up to A-League, just how much fun have you had and um, what's the what's been the big takeout for you personally this season? Yes, look, it's been a, a very challenging season. You know, as you said, it's my first 
season as a, as an A League coach, and um, you know there's been a lot of ups and downs, and you know the performance of the team has been up and down as well. And I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. It's, it's been um, you know a great learning curve for me, and I've you know I've, I've been very fortunate that I've had you know. Um, Ross Aloisi and Eugene Galekovic sitting next to me and they've provided a lot of guidance and a lot of help, you know, especially Ross. He's, you know, having been involved as an assistant coach previously in the A-League for three years at Brisbane, so he's helped me immensely as well. So it's it's been a, a great learning curve and I've, you know, thoroughly enjoyed this year. It's um, It's been great, you know. We've, I've, you know, been able to implement, you know, how I believe football should be played. It should be played as, you know, a very attacking brand of football and, you know, at times this year that sort of caused us a few issues that we've, you know, gone out after a bit in, in that attacking sense. Uh, Carl, you mentioned this is your first full season in the job, but you did have the five games last year up in the COVID hub uh, when you took over from the uh, departed manager. Did you find that that helped you at all coming into this season so that you didn't come in obviously completely, completely blind? Did you find that uh, you learned a little bit from that initial five-game burst? Yeah, most definitely. Not just myself, but it also gave the playing group um, an understanding of how I am as a coach, um, and you know my beliefs and and that. And so they sort of and in that, that that five game hub period, they really bought into my philosophy, which you know has flowed into this season. So that sort of gave them you know because a coach, you know, you need your backing and your players, and I think. Those five games, I think I showed to the playing group that I'm, you know, more than capable of, of doing the job. You're listening to Nine NTS News Talk Sport. We're talking to Adelaide United Reds uh, senior coach Carl Veer, ahead of the big match against Brisbane in the elimination final of the A League this weekend. Carl, um, your club has done a fabulous job in promoting homegrown talent. I think it's a real feature feature of the Adelaide United DNA. Um, what do you, you as a as a local boy? What do you take out of the the opportunities you're giving to the local um, the local talent, and in particular the the talent that's arrived from refugee communities, which has been so wonderful to see uh, see come through the club? Can you just reflect on on the the promoting of homegrown talent and what it means to the DNA of the club? Yeah, most definitely. I, you know, as you said, I've come through that system myself. That's how I came through as a player at Lake City. You know, we were a very local club and and then at the beginning of Adelaide United, um, as a player that came through there, you know, that those first couple of years we were um, very much a South Australian team. Um, and the DNA of the club, as you said, last two years has made a, a big point of going back to that given opportunities to our local players because we've shown that um, if they're given an opportunity that they are as, as good and, you know, we don't need to spend, you know, that big money on bringing foreign players in that can when we can give our young players an opportunity. And you've seen this year that some of the young players that we've given opportunities to, not just the South Australian ones, but, you know, even, you know, ones that we've brought in from interstate that uh, have the talent. If you give them opportunities, they... You know, young players surprise you, and you know, I've, having worked in that in, environment for nearly ten years, working with young players, I'm a big um, believer in young players and giving them opportunities. 
And from the outside looking in, uh, the man most commonly attributed with sort of driving that young South Australian talent and, uh, and regeneration of the club as a, as a South Australian club as a whole has been uh, Bruce Jitte. Now, Bruce has left the club this week. He's uh, the new CEO of the Committee for Adelaide. Could you just reflect uh, on Bruce's time with the club uh, in the boardroom over the, the last couple of years, how he set the club up and, uh, and how he'll be replaced? Yeah, look, it's going to be a difficult one to replace Bruce because, as you said, you know, the two years that he's been at the club, um, that was the main reason why I came back. He convinced me to come back to the club two years ago because there was a big drive and he's pushed that to train, change that culture of the club and get it back to be more of a South Australian club. And, you know, Bruce has been sensational. You know, the work that he's done this last two years for the club has been has been tremendous. And, you know, this last 12 months working side by side with Bruce, it's it's been um, fantastic. He's helped me enormously as a coach to grow this year, and it's going to be a, you know difficult um, position to fill. Um, but I'm sure the club will you know try and find someone that can keep doing the same work that Bruce has done in the last two years. Yeah, Pep, and we uh, obviously endorse that, mate. Bruce has been a, uh, a major influence at the club over uh, pretty much its entire history and uh, his uh, his legacy will be there for, forever. And, Carl, hopefully yours will be. You get a result over Brisbane Raw this weekend and uh, it just goes from strength to strength. Wish you luck with the game and uh, and with the, if you get through the rest of the finals going through, there's a real opportunity there with uh, so many of the Socceroos at Melbourne City and Sydney FC off in the the qualifying camp that we just, we've just we been predicting, as so many have, there could be a wild card winner. So uh, all the best this weekend and uh, hopefully for the next few weeks, Carl. Thanks, guys. Thanks very much. Not at all, Carl. Be it uh, coach of Adelaide United ahead of the elimination final against Brisbane this weekend. All right, stick around. We're going to wrap up the rest of uh, the, uh, well, from our opinions, the uh, the other elimination final between the Mariners and the MacArthur Bulls after the break on Box to Box. Box to Box. For Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, the kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box on Nine Radio, NTS News Talk Sport. Nice chat with Carl Viet there. A big, big assignment this weekend. It brings the Brisbane Raw. We're going to talk about the other match as well shortly with Dino, Michael, and Willem. But before we do, uh, you want to uh, get into Chemist Warehouse very quickly because there are some amazing deals right now. And uh, and what better time than to get in this week to support Gotcha for Life, a charity founded by Gus Walland and aimed at supporting men's mental health. Because at Chemist Warehouse right now, they're getting right behind this charity with 5% off all OptiMen shake sales going, donated to Gotcha for Life. 5% of all Lynx sales, that's the deodorant, donated to Gotcha for Life. And 5% of all L'Oreal men it's experts sales donated to gotcha for life they're also donating a dollar from every nicorette purchase to gotcha for life so get into chemist warehouse make those purchases there's something there that everybody needs and it'll go to that fantastic foundation the fantastic charity founded by gus wall and gotcha for life more products to help fund the charity in catalog and in store chemist warehouse the great savings from the great people every single day willem a league Rob, it's the A-League finals, one of my favourite times of the year. Anyone who thinks that Australia should get rid of the finals in our football code should get in the bin. We've had finals in this country since 1989. It's a very important part of our football tradition. It kicks off on Saturday evening in Gosford. Central Coast are going to be hosting MacArthur in their first final since 2013-14 for the Mariners. Of their best 11, Michael, they're really only missing Ruan Tongyuk, who debuted for the Socceroos this week. Daniel Hall's been deputising for him pretty ably. For MacArthur, in their first final, of course, in their first season, they're only going to be missing 
Loic Puyo, which isn't necessarily a massive loss. He is certainly replaceable. He uh, earned a red card in their last game against Wellington. We'll have a quick look at their recent history, or their full history, uh, really, before we get into a few predictions. The Mariners have done them three times, Dino. They did them 2-0 in round two at Campbelltown. They then uh, did them by the same scoreline in Gosford in round 11, and then 2-1 in round 23. So that match uh, probably has a little bit uh, a little bit to do with it, because it was yeah particularly recent. Dean, it's going to be a real contrast of styles. MacArthur, we know they like to have a fair bit of the ball, and they go about it pretty slowly with the target man in Derbyshire up top, whereas the Mariners yeah. like to, they also like to have the ball, but they sort of crowd a few more bodies into the box, play a few high-tempo passes, and look to get shots off that way. So a contrast of styles, I think. No, very much so. I mean, uh, MacArthur's had a fabulous season, obviously, uh, coming into the league, and uh, the Central Coast Mariners have most probably been Sensationally, most probably one of the best uh, stories of uh, of the A League this year. You know, with the, the results that they've got and got them into the elimination final. I think this game's going to be an absolute cracker. Did you have a prediction, Dean? I'm going to back in Central Coast at home. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I've, I've, you know they, they look really strong at home. Um, they've got some really good players in that side who are all in good form and. Uh, and I think, uh, I mean, I think it's going to be tight. I don't think this is going to be just a walk walk on uh, Mazzea by any stretch. But uh, I think Central Coast Mariners for me. Yeah, Central Coast for me too. They they deserve their third place finish, and I just think they've got a better volume of work this year than Macarthur. And I'm not sure Macarthur is a happy camp. And Rob, what sort of text messages will you be exchanging with Gaddy post match? Happy ones or, or miserable? <laughs> Oh, I definitely think they'll be happy ones. So look, I'm, I'm um, really pleased to see how well MacArthur have done on the park. A bit disappointed that they haven't been able to get uh, bigger crowds down there in Campbelltown, but there's plenty of reasons for that. Uh, if they keep on winning, then gradually the crowds will come. But uh, I reckon that not only uh, the Central Coast Mariners under Stadjic good enough to get the job done, but uh, I think they deserve to get the job done. And uh, I know I briefly touched on this with Carl uh, uh, at the end of our chat there, that uh, with uh, those big names... Uh, out of uh, the Sydney FC and, uh, and Melbourne City lineup. So, of course, Ruan Tonyuk is, uh, is not playing for, for the Mariners and he's been very important to them, but uh, they still have the, the this core structure of their lineup uh, um, there. So, you know, I, I just think that uh, if uh, if they get a little bit of luck go their way, uh, I don't think they're not going to step up and, and play to the to the best of their ability. I, I just think we might see um, a nice little story towards the back end and an, and an unlikely underdog make the, make the grand final. On to Sunday afternoon's clash, it is Brisbane Raw hosting Adelaide at Redcliffe. This one particularly hard to split. Uh, two coaches in their first full seasons uh, in the job. Carl Veard, of course, who we just spoke to at Adelaide, and Warren Moon at Brisbane. Now, both of these coaches uh, benefited from foreign coaches leaving the league at the back end of last season due to the uh, the COVID-19 outbreak when it first came through. Adelaide, I think they're just a little bit more experienced in terms of A-League finals. Tommy Urich is back fit. Craig Goodwin has, has stayed. He didn't go with the Socceroos. Stefan Mork, Michael Maroney have been there and done it before. Brisbane, uh, it's really only uh, Scott Neville, uh, Jamie Young uh, and Corey Brown who have experienced sort of A-League finals action. Uh, this season, I mentioned it was hard to split. You can't really read too much from the form line. Brisbane won 3-1 in round six at home and then Adelaide won the return clash 1-0. Uh, I think I'm going to go for Adelaide based on that uh, those more experienced soldiers, Dean. Yeah, look, um, I watched Adelaide the other week and uh, they look quite impressive, but I don't know, there's something about this Brisbane Raw team that they seem to try and stay in games for long periods of time. So I've got a funny feeling that Brisbane just might nick it, but I think it's going to be very, very tight. And I think Warren Moon and Carl Veer have done a fabulous uh, job 
respectively in their uh, their first seasons. It's a tough one, this one, isn't it? Um, on paper, uh, Adelaide look the stronger team, don't they? More experience and more more um, uh, names that were uh, immediately recognisable. But uh, Brisbane have got the results and they've done exceptionally well this year. I, I just think the home ground advantage is probably going to be the difference. I'm tipping Brisbane. And a final tip from you, Rob? Yeah, I agree with you there, Edge. I think Brisbane, um, they've uh, got um, the home ground advantage that um, that is, is just so important. Um, Warren Moon has been an excellent um, coach all, all season. We had him on a few weeks ago and uh, just seems to be a very level-headed coach. Carl Veed, of course, uh, you know, the same, but, uh, you know, wouldn't be surprising to, to me regardless of, of who gets the result. But um, I think um, no matter what happens, uh, it's going to be an interesting uh Final uh, match of the elimination round, and uh, but I'm going to stick with Brisbane. Moving on to the biggest storyline of the week, and it is, of course, that Mark Rudin was axed by Western United after two seasons in the job. Uh, eight consecutive losses to finish the season saw them end 10th, and Michael had been speaking a little while ago about needing to hit the reset button and have a bit of a clear out. Well, unfortunately for Mark, it's, it's going to start with him. Dean, I'm a little bit worried for them. He's been a major figurehead of the club, and the program... Well, the side weren't going well, but I'm not sure they were going that badly that they needed to pull the trigger on him. So it sort of alludes to the fact that something might have been going on uh, behind closed doors. But at the moment, with no crowds and and no home and and no real certainty over what the next two to three uh, years looks like, they really are nothing without their results. And Bezart, Barisha, Diamante, these have been the uh, the key players, but they're on their last leg. So it really has been Mark Rodin from day one. He's been the most public face at the club. He does a lot of media, uh, does a lot of the the heavy lifting in the media. He, He... he really draws the headlines. So whoever they replace him with is going to have to uh, really drive the club on, on two fronts. Yeah, look, I, I think it's all, you know, and it's one of these new setups again. Um, and, and it does take time. You know, you have to think back to the days when the A-League started, you know, it was all, you know, a little bit touch and go. A couple of franchises went after one or two, possibly three years. Um, but for me, um, I think he did a, a really good job. Um and, and 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 I'm sure he'll get back into football because um, I think he's got a good pedigree, he's got a good background. Uh, but I think it was, it, you know, you could just see towards the end, you know, Diamante and Barisha, you know, I mean, the fabulous uh, Trojans who've done an unbelievable amount for the A League. And uh, but as you say, uh, times on not on their side now. So, but I think Diamante will go around. I'm just not sure about that. Uh, Rob, I know it's been a uh, interrupted couple of years, COVID and, and so forth, but how many seasons do you give Western, Western United and MacArthur to establish a fan base? What's the, what's the rule of thumb for, you know, is it five seasons? Is it shorter, longer? Is um, Cause I, must... I think I think we've got to use um, Melbourne City as our yardstick. I mean, they, um, despite the the recent, uh, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, uh, billions even from their uh, their Saudi oil owners, uh, uh, that they uh, have been given plenty of patience and plenty of time. So I, I think we're, we're playing the long game here. So you know, I, I give them every bit of. Uh, you know, five plus years to, to build the, that audience. I I think it's uh, it's been long enough to to, uh, to get the expansion going that we don't need any setbacks um, by um, by pulling the trigger too early on these clubs. And if I was to pay devil's advocate just for one very brief moment, Rob, imagine if uh, MacArthur had been Apia Leichhardt and Western United had been South Melbourne, uh, whether that would have added uh, fan base and colour 
And let's not bury the lead, um, Michael. We've all been talking about this week uh, the possibility of Newcastle uh, getting a result against Melbourne City, which they obviously did, and relegating Melbourne victory to their first ever wooden spoon. That is the ultimate humiliation for one of the uh, competition's biggest clubs. It certainly is, and it's a reflection of a a season that's just been um, horrible with a capital H, hasn't it, Rob? They have not done anything right um, the, from the appointment of the coach through to the recruitment of players through to back, uh, backroom staff. Uh, I mean, there is a, a very, very significant uh, issue at Melbourne Victory of which they're expecting Tony Popovich to fix up with them. Well, the ultimate ignominy for the victory now, Michael, is that they've got to go to Perth for the FFA Cup playoff next week to play the glory, whereas Western United will host the Jets. So if victory, or if the Jets hadn't have won, if they had have finished 11th, uh, they would have faced Western United at home. But now they've got to go to Perth. Well, Melbourne victory, um, you reap what you sow and uh, they've got a long way back, haven't they, Rob? Yeah, certainly do. All right. Well, what we've got a lot is uh, a lot of football to talk about in the next hour. We've got uh, Alexander Holliger from Croatia. We're going to talk about their chances in the Euros. We're going to talk more Euro action with the boys. We're going to try and make some selections from the rest of the groups and we will wrap it all up with uh, a few opinions on the Euros in general. So stick around. Big hour coming up next on Box to Box. Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbus and Michael Edgley. Oh! For Chemist Chemist Warehouse, Warehouse. home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, the kings of storage, moving and absolutely fantastic. Welcome back to Box the Box, second edition news with Willem van Dendren. Shortly, plenty to go around with the Socceroos and Matildas uh, World Cup qualifiers, Olympic friendlies coming up. Really looking forward to our chat with uh, one of Croatia's leading journalists uh, from Zagreb, Alexander Holliger. We talked to him back in 2018 uh, during the World Cup uh, when the uh, fraternity went on that amazing run. We're going to talk to Alexander after uh, the news and plenty more with Europe, with Dino and Del. We're going to do our own breakdown of the Euros and uh, that'll be interesting to see you know, who we select because there's always a wild card in the Euros, isn't there? And we'll wrap it up with stoppage time, of course. But, uh, Willem, you got plenty more for us? I do, Rob. Socceroos and Matilda Central for the Green and Gold Army. Make sure you're among the first to know about upcoming overseas tours to support the Socceroos, Matildas and junior national teams in all corners of the globe. Sign up to the Green and Gold Army mailing list. It takes only two seconds. Head to ggatravel.com.au. We'll start this week with the Oliroos, who have again failed to capitalise on a dominant performance, going down 1-0 to Romania in their second match in Marbella. The side's earlier clash against Saudi Arabia had been cancelled due to COVID-19 concerns with their last game to come overnight Saturday against Mexico. But Michael, I don't think there's any reason to not be bullish about the Oliroos based off their results. I think their starting midfield will be Denny Jonro, Connor Metcalf and Riley McGree and they're all doing the best apprenticeship you could possibly do ahead of the Olympics with the senior side and also a few flickers in this game against Romania from Daniel Arzani. It's been a long time since we have seen that. Yeah, just some flickers, you're right. Um, yeah, I'm bullish about the early roos. Don't forget I saw them in Thailand in the, the group phase, a really, really solid qualification campaign that really should hold them in good stead. I'm, I'm, I'm bullish about them uh, competing really strongly at the Olympic Games and uh, I'm not worried about uh, what's happening in Spain. This is just an opportunity to sort out who's uh, going to be in the... The, the back of the squad, considering that the best ones are with the Socceroos at the moment. And the Matildas are going to be in action again this week as well. They've got the first of their final two pre-Olympic friendlies against Denmark on Friday morning. Uh, the following clash will be against Sweden on Wednesday. Tony Gustafsson's honeymoon period was very short and not particularly sweet either. He needs uh, a couple of results or at least much more improved performances out of this one. 
Certainly does, um, but he's a quality coach and uh, he comes with uh, really serious credentials and he's also got his top-line players back for the, for the first time. And this squad uh, for these two games, uh, which will primarily be the the players that are selected for the Olympic Games, out of it, um, I expect a better performance. I expect a much more competitive performance and we'll... The real interest for me is whether Elise Kellard knight and Kaya Simon can stand up uh, in uh, real match conditions with with so uh, little uh, match time under their belts after uh, recovering from injuries and whether they're, they're actually a chance to go to the Olympic Games. That's what I'll be watching. And just a couple of players and a manager to round out on. Alex Chidiak has signed for Japanese club JEF United or Jeff United and will play for them in the first season of their newly formed league. It's called the Women's Empowerment League over there in Japan. Uh, and to the men, fresh off his first competitive appearance for the Socceroos, Danny Vukovic has been linked with a move to promoted Dutch side NEC Nijmegen, and Harry Kuehl has landed a new job in the fifth tier of English football. He's dropping down another level, Michael. Barnet FC. Come on, Harry. It's do or die now. Barnet FC, Rob. Are they one of your uh, little special teams that you keep an eye on? Oh, look, I just keep an eye on Harry because we all know my prediction that... Um, so the the time, age he's running out of time, Rob. He's well, running no, out of clocks. Got, always he's got ticking. another 20 years, Willem. Come on. But let Rob have you stay. Plenty of time. We'll be counting. We'll still be doing the show. We'll be up to episode 2048 of Box to Box by that stage. So, um, yeah, I'll I'll just sit back and cool my jets and uh, one day I'll be right. Now, Rob, when you were a trolley dolly back in the day, you would have gone to America from time to time? Yes, many times. Yeah, that's good. Now, I've got a a bit of news out of the States is that the 2026 FIFA World Cup, USA, Mexico, Canada, um, Mexico and Canada have announced the cities that are going to be hosting matches. So uh, in Canada, it's Edmonton, Montreal and Toronto. No Vancouver. That's interesting. And in Mexico, it's Guadalajara, Mexico City and Monterrey. Uh, The USA has 17 cities bidding for 10 places. And those cities are Atlanta, Baltimore, Boston, Cincinnati, Dallas, Denver, Houston, Kansas City, Los Angeles, Miami, Nashville, New York, New Jersey, Orlando, Philadelphia, San Francisco Bay Area, Seattle, Washington, D.C. That is huge, but no Chicago. What mm. about that? The Windy City. Well, um, our, uh, our friend from the Pennsylvania newspaper. Um, Philadelphia. Jonathan yeah, Tannerwald, our good mm. friend, Jonathan. Yes, of course. We'll have to get Jonathan on again to uh, analyse this. When's the announcement, Edge? Oh, they're bidding at the moment. I'm not sure when the final announcement is, but there's still FIFA um, inspections to happen. But uh, was just interested that uh, Edmonton was chosen over Vancouver in Canada. Don't know what that's about. But I guess they've got the same political issues. I mean, you look at um, Probably. our 2023 World Cup and the fact that, um, you know, we've only got – I mean, obviously we're going to have games in the Women's World Cup. In no, Canberra for us, obviously, so. yeah. Exactly. If we're going to have Jonathan on, Rob, he's got to have his dishwasher sorted. <laughs> to tell the story. <laughs> oh, no, keen box-to-box listeners will remember that very well. Yeah, it was a good moment, wasn't it, when he said, oh, you can hear the dishwasher in the background. Bit of Euros <laughs> news. Spain and Sweden are facing COVID-19 outbreaks on the eve of the tournament, with two players from each side isolating for 10 days and ruled out of their opening fixture. The two sides, of course, playing each other first up. Spanish stalwart Sergio Busquets and defender Diego Llorente have tested positive, with manager Luis Enrique calling up six players to train separately as insurance. So those guys aren't added to the squad, but very may very well may be by kickoff. The two Swedish players in question are winger Dian Kulusevski and midfielder Matthias Svanberg. Now, Rob, we spoke to Richard Bayless last week and he told us pretty much straight out that COVID-19 is a part of life at this major tournament. We've just got to back in the processes. 
Yeah, we do. And, um, you know, it's, it is part of life all over the world, football or otherwise. So, uh, look, we've just got to hope that um, that there's no major issues where teams are, are totally compromised and um, and they can uh, at least put um, you know, competitive sides out uh, onto the park. But, look, things seem to be going OK right now. They've, uh, you know, they've had crowds back in, in lots of stadiums um, throughout Europe. And, uh, look, you know, the, the bottom line is, and Edge knows this better than anybody else, is that, uh, that most of the, the European countries where the... Uh, the games will be held uh, so far advanced of Australia in terms of their vaccination programs that uh, that there's very, very strict protocols as to who can and can't go to matches. The Russian Football Union has complained to UEFA about Ukraine's Euros kit, which it has described as political. The kit features an outline of the country's borders, including disputed territory of Crimea and the regions of Donetsk and Luhansk, which have been partially seized by Russian separatists. UEFA stated the kit had been ticked off by their equipment regulations, although the RFU argue it goes against the basic principles of the governing body. Now, Michael, regardless of the politics of this issue, and you know we know you can't always separate politics and sport, but it just seems a little bit needlessly provocative. Yeah, absolute garbage, this, and Ukraine needs to, uh, they need to change their kit. You know, regardless of what you think about uh, the issue in Russia and Crimea, whether it's Russian or Ukrainian, uh, you know, you can argue about that for for 2,000 years of history, but but um, this goes directly against FIFA regulations. Your wife has been soft on it, and they, uh, in my view, they need to uh, change their kit. We don't want that in the sport under any circumstances. Well said. Over to the Copper America now, Brazil's national side have criticised the decision to host it in their home country, however stated they'd never considered a boycott. In a statement posted on their social media accounts, the players said they're unsatisfied with how it's been handled for both professional and humanitarian reasons. President Jair Bolsonaro has defended his decision, stating, oddly, that it will not pose a health risk. Now, Michael, I think one of the big shames about this Copper is that with the Euros, we've had such a lead-in and the tournament's been able to breathe, we've had the squads roll in, people have been able to discuss the ins and outs of the managers and who might win and the favourites with the copper. There's been none of that on the pitch talk because right up until kickoff, we're still dealing with the big picture issues of where it's actually going to be hosted, health risks, etc. Yeah, and, the, and this is the reason why we are dealing with it. Um, the event Eve hosts Brazil, which you know obviously stepped into the breach uh, off the back of Argentina and Colombia uh, capitulating. If you just look at Brazil, 207,000 deaths in the last three months. They're averaging 60,000 new infections each day, every day for the past three months. There's a congressional panel investigating the government's response to the pandemic. They issued a statement saying the hosting event was completely illogical. Uh, A Supreme Court justice ordered the government to publish its plans on public health grounds and Cova America, Cova, not not Copper America, Mm -hmm. Cova America has been the number one trending hashtag on Twitter in Brazil for the past 14 days. There is a backlash of huge proportions against the event and uh, this is not over the line uh, in, by any stretch of the imagination. Um, it's a tough one because South America is, uh, as a continent, probably the hardest hit, hardest hit um, uh, environment outside of India for, for COVID-19. And back locally now, Michael, for just a final story. The PFA's annual report into the W League has described it as being in a strategic vacuum and has warned the APL it requires urgent overhaul. The report outlined that in the six years since Melbourne City became the league's most recent entrant, five new female professional leagues have emerged in Australia. The APL will have control over the W League going forward with the most recent season, the final one under the control of Football Australia. Now, this isn't particularly surprising information to anyone. We've all watched it play out over the last few years. I just thought back to... uh, 
uh, Wellington's bid to join the W League. We know that James Johnson sort of captain called that one off the cards. With the women's football market fragmenting, we've seen Japan pop up with a new league. I just wonder if it might have been better to call in Wellington as a, as an ally rather than an enemy on this one. Not that expansion's the be all and end all, but I, I just I just thought back to that particular moment. Well, there's a lot of very nervous traditional women's football stakeholders just wondering uh, what the uh, the APL uh, group of decision makers will do with the W League. Um, this report, there's good and bad. There's been an increase in match minutes for emerging talent aged 18 to 24. That's up 38%. The W League was is, is desperately falling behind the NWSL and WSL. Uh, that's the American and English leagues, the ones that are most like our own. Uh, we, are, we only have half the amount of matches that uh, those leagues have. Squad stability, uh, those teams dominate Sydney FC and Melbourne Victory. Sydney FC had six players play 90% or more of available match minutes. Melbourne Victory had seven. Needless to say, they uh, both uh, won uh, the trophies this year. High scoring league in comparison to USA, England, Norway and Sweden, uh, 3.2 goals a game and broadcast viewership increased by 50%. So it's not all bad news. It's not all good news. The jury is out. We've got to remember that uh, on the APL, APL board, uh, everybody making decisions are men. Uh, there's a lot of traditional women stakeholders uh, in the sport increasingly nervous about about whether the W League will be continue to be left behind. Let's wait and see. The mail is that Wellington and Western United are going to be given franchises, so there'll be two new teams, more games, more opportunities for players. Let's just wait and see what happens. Sounds like a story we've got to pick up on very soon, gentlemen. All right, well done. Um, we're going to pivot after the break. We're going to go Europe big, and we're going to talk to Alexander Holliger all the way from Croatia. It was an incredible run, the Croatians. We always know uh, that whenever there's a big tournament on, the Croatians are up there and about. They uh, did amazing things in that last World Cup. They almost stole the big prize, but France were just too good for them. But they did uplift the entire country, that's for sure, and Alexander Holliger was across it. Can they do it again five years down the track? We'll find out from Alexander after the break on Box to Box. Box to Box. For Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, the kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is box to box. Now back in uh, 2018, when uh, Croatia almost took the big prize uh, in the World Cup, uh, we had a chat to uh, one of the Croatia's leading football journalists, uh, Alexander Holliger, and uh, we've got Alexander back on the line now to uh, to talk about uh, just whether they've got enough petrol left in the tank to do some uh, serious damage at the Euros, which start this Saturday our time. Alexander, welcome back to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. No, not at all, Alexander. And uh, we find you in Zagreb, Croatia, of course, in Group D with England, Scotland and the Czech Republic. Uh, um, the only Real Madrid player playing in the tournament, certainly not for Spain, is uh, the great Croatian Luka Modric. Um, and uh, he uh, is one of the that group that um, that led the, the team to those amazing feats last time around. So I guess the first question off the top for you, um, Alexander, is what are the expectations in Croatia are based on, uh, on the squad as it stands? Um, and the uh, and the amazing result that, that they achieved um, making the final last time around in the World Cup. Uh, it's difficult to say. The expectations are now uh, risen. They are high after the huge success of the World Cup. But on the other hand, uh, the results in the past two or three years have, haven't really been all that well. And uh, it's a different team now. You know that uh, some of the players have retired, some important players like Manjukic and Rakitic and Subasic. Uh, some new ones came and are looking promising, but uh, it's 
all in all, it doesn't seem like they're, uh, you know, gelled in together for now. And I think a lot will depend on the decision that, um, decisions that manager Dalic will have to make on how to put them together in order to uh, look like, uh, for them to look like they, they can look, uh, to be the, at their best, you know. It's, uh, it, it, it didn't look very promising in the, in the friendlies, it didn't look very promising in the Nations League against the, the bigger opponents. But still, I think uh, if the pieces of the puzzle come together, Croatia can really be set for big things once again. Alexander, tell us about the rivalry with England, of course. That will start again in Group D. We had 2008 where Croatia memorably knocked England out of the Euros at Wembley 3-2. Of course, there was the semi-final uh, in the last World Cup. Is this a game that Croatia and Croatian fans always look to? And is it, is it a genuinely big rivalry? Um, I'm not sure if you can call it rivalry. You know, uh, Croatia, Croatians are always particularly fired up against any big team. And especially, you know, there's this always this narrative about uh, the English being arrogant or whatever, which, it, which they are really not, you know. And, and then the past World Cup, I, I think that was the most respectful, down-to-earth uh, team that England ever had. But still, you know, Croatians, uh, they um, tend to look for any signs of disrespect and use them for motivation as a secret weapon, really. Croatia is set to play, or obviously playing all, all of their games away. They've got two games in Wembley and they've got one at Hampden Park against Scotland. Um, Scotland, no mean feat either. I think they're coming into the tournament with some form. Do, do, do you think um, Croatia will take Scotland likely or do they see that as a big challenge as well? I don't think there's any chance of them taking Scotland lightly. Uh, maybe if they are already qualified, which is not particularly likely. But I don't, don't think uh, Scotland is one of just four teams in Europe that Croatia never won against. They played five games and never won. So, uh, I mean, obviously Croatia would be favourites in that game uh, regardless of where it takes place. But I don't think they will, they will take that lightly at all. This is Box to Box. We're talking to Alexander Holliger, Croatian football journalist ahead of the Euros, which kick off on Saturday morning our time. Alexander, I'm sure you appreciate there is a very, very strong Croatian community here in Australia and some famous uh, football clubs that have Croatian heritage. Uh, I uh, phoned one of my uh, great friends at Melbourne Croatia or Melbourne Knights today and I said, give me one player that is going to be the difference between Croatia having a great tournament or just a good one. And he said it was going to be Marcello Brozovic. Tell us about him and tell us about um, his partnership with Luka Modric and can he, can he be a player that uh, really drives the team forward in this tournament? Yeah, Brozovic is extremely important. He's uh, the kind of player that Croatia desperately look for ever since Niko Kovac retired from his playing career because Niko Kovac was this, you know, iron-lunged uh, defensive mid holding midfielder uh, who was always behind the ball and who did uh, so much for the team, so much dirty work that, that uh, some people don't even notice. This is Brozovic now. He, he is a different character, has some different uh, set of skills, but still he plays a very similar role. And uh, 
his importance is um, mostly down to the fact that Croatia don't really have a proper replacement alternative for him. Well, it all comes down to the first game, doesn't it? If you get a good result against England, you you were in the box seat to finish top of the group. Is that the way most Croatian fans see it? Do they see um, the first game as being um, a critical component in setting up the whole tournament? I think not uh, for once, for a change, because uh, there's uh, just too much talk about how it would uh, be better to finish second in the group. Oh, really? Because okay. uh, th- that, that would be uh, bring, you know, uh, a better draw in the knockout rounds. And it's uh, it's a bit absurd, you know, both uh, teams come into this game uh, knowing that they don't uh, necessarily need to win and it, it wouldn't be a tragedy for either of, of them not to win it. So I think uh, Croatia will probably uh, look to defend first, you know, and what we, what we are looking at would probably be if things turn out the way Dalic uh, wants, it could be uh, a dull game, you know, with either with no goals or just, you know, one decisive goal. But England, I think, uh, they, they, they see differently. They don't uh, uh, care all that much about draw in the, in the knockout stages. I think they, they will want to win it, especially because there are advantages also uh, in playing at home, which Croatia don't have. So I, I, usually they always talk about how the first game is decisive and usually when Croatia uh, did well in the first game, then they did well for the rest of the tournament. This time it's different because uh, it, it's a 14 group and then three of them could go uh, to the knockout stages. So I think um, it, it's just different than it used to be. Rob mentioned on the top of the show, uh, Luka Modric is clearly still, you know, the talisman of this team. He comes in at the age of 35. Um, Real Madrid's, you know, near miss uh, at La Liga was a lot of people were pointing at, at his form. He kept players like Martin Odegaard and Federico Valverde at the side there. Is there an argument to say that Modric is actually just getting better and better as age goes? Uh, I wouldn't say that. I would say that he has adapted extremely well uh, to his, uh, you know, aging uh, particular skills which are related to to his physique. Uh, He needs to play a little bit differently now than he played five years ago or three years ago. So uh, I think he has done extremely well to... uh, to adopt his these really subtle things in his game, uh, so that he's still, I think, uh, he's still probably on the same level, generally speaking, than he was three three years ago, and that's uh, that's a massive thing for him. And Alexander, before we let you go, uh, looking at the uh, the Euros as a tournament more broadly, um, can you give us uh, your observations on maybe uh, um, your uh, favourite and, and perhaps a dark horse uh, to uh, become the Iceland of, of 2021? Hmm. Well, uh, yeah, I think obviously France are number one favourites and the World Cup champions, you know, now also with Benzema. Uh, I really like Belgium. I think they could go really far. And I like England. They are a young, potent team. Uh, I think these these are probably three top uh, favorites. As for the dark horse, well, 
haven't really thought about it. I mean, yeah, Portugal is also one of the big teams, and, and they now just uh, they they may not rely on uh, Cristiano Ronaldo as much as they used to, but they also have some this whole host of uh, new, fresh, uh, really promising players. So I wouldn't be surprised if, if they win it again. As for dark horses, I mean, Croatia can always be a dark horse. The, uh, Croatia, the perennial dark horses of any tournament. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll watch out for the Northern Macedonians and Finlands of uh, the tournament to see if they can get us a bit of excitement uh, at, uh, and hungry again. Though, they're I think Denmark is good. Denmark, yeah, Denmark is, absolutely. Could be, could be something there. Yeah. Well, one thing we know for sure, Alexander, is we're all going to enjoy a lot of football. It's been a pretty tough uh, 18 months for the entire world. And uh, the very fact that we've got this tournament on again, um, we uh, we are all looking forward to it and uh, wish uh, Croatia all the best. And hopefully we might have a yarn to you uh, during the course of the tournament and uh, and, and pick up on uh, things as um, perhaps uh, the group stages end and we, we head into the knockout phase. Yeah, sure. Not at all. Alexander Holliger, one of Croatia's leading football journalists uh, live from Zagreb. Uh, thank you very much for joining us again, mate. It's been a pleasure. Not at all. All right, stick around on Box to Box. We're going to talk more Europe next. The boys are going to try and make some selections and, uh, and make some sense out of all of these groups and, uh, and pick a few of our own. Stick around after the break on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box. What a wonderful chat it was with Alexander. All the way from Croatia, the excitement is building all around Europe. Uh, well, And the diaspora, of course, everywhere around the world is uh, football fans and people who've lived or have got relatives uh, somewhere in Europe and we just can't wait. We're going to break down our own version of the preview. Derek has sort of allocated different groups for us and um, and I'm sure we've all come to the party with something uh, a little bit different, a little angle, and who is going to be that underdog? Who's going to be the Iceland of uh, 2021 or the uh, well, the Euros? Uh, Derek, uh, mate, I'll handball it over to you. Um, how are you going to steer this ship? Well, look, we've got a few different groups allocated to us. So we're going to do four groups uh, in this section. We'll do a little bit of Europe news because there is stuff going on around um, outside of the Euros. Um, and then we'll come back and we'll do a couple more in stoppage time. What I've done is I've actually asked Dino to sort of be the grandmaster of the two home groups. So starting with Group A, of course, Dino's um, homeland of Wales are there with Italy, yeah. Switzerland and Turkey. Uh, Italy in superb form going into this tournament, Dean. I mean, they're not going to have any trouble getting out of the group, are they? No, I don't think so. I think Italy, um, unless unless there's a, a dramatic issue that dro- drops in from somewhere, but I can't see anything other than Italy uh, topping the group in this in this uh, group, group A. Rob, you have a bit of a fact, I think, on Turkey. Um, they look pretty, you know, innocuous there in Group A, but they've got a bit of form in their form line, haven't they? Oh, definitely, yeah. So Turkey uh, took four points in qualifying off France. So, uh, you know, that's um, going to give them um, some serious... Uh, uh, pedigree in 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 that group, and we all know that uh, back in two hundred two they um, they went to the World Cup semi-finals in um, in Japan, South Korea. So you know, no one underestimates uh, Turkey in their own right. And then uh, in the, um, the the group of um, the Hungary group as well, that Hungary took um, uh, had beaten Turkey in the last two times out. So there's there's form lines all over the place here. You have to say that it's you know on paper it looks like Italy and Switzerland, but 
Dino Wales. I mean, they come into this without their manager. Um, we've got Paige in charge, but they yeah, look, I'm quite comfortable with that. I'm quite comfortable with uh, Paige. Um, you know, I'm not really sure where Ryan Giggs sits now. Um, I think he's got a bit more on on his plate at the moment. But I think yeah. from a Wales point of view, I, I've, I've, I still think they must get off to a really good start in the first game. Obviously, that's vital. Uh, and then if they do, um, you know, well, then all of a sudden, you know, you, you want to be in those top two places. And I've, I've backed Wales to uh, potentially get in there. Wales, of course, starting off at, um, against Switzerland and Turkey will play Italy. Uh, yeah. Going on to Group B, that's my group. So that's Belgium, Denmark, Finland and Russia. Um, probably, you'd argue, the last chance for Belgium's so-called golden generation they do have um, two away matches in this, though, so it's probably not going to be as straightforward, but Kevin De Bruyne is back. Um, Denmark are probably the second favourites here. They've clearly got some great talent. Um, Schmeichel, Eriksson, Hoiberg and, and, and many others. Um, the uh, 1992 champions will fancy themselves here in a group that um, has Finland and Russia in it. And, you know, Russia performed well-edged when they were at home, didn't they? But... Um, in the last World Cup, but you know, can they can they do anything in this group? Well, they a, <coughs> excuse me, they have a couple of games in St Petersburg, so that's going to help them, isn't it? Um, yeah, I actually do. I actually picked them to do okay because of the home games. Um, I actually think that uh, they're better than Finland. They've got a good good record against them, and uh, they only have to get one other win against uh, the two other favourites in the comp in that in that uh, in that group. So, I think they're an outside chance to go through, aren't they, aren't they Derek? I think so. I'm surprised you've not mentioned Timu Puki as well. Obviously, uh, the man, the great man, the legend for Finland. Uh, well, he's been but- the, one of the main reasons they've been able to qualify. He scored a truckload of goals in the qualification period. So he is uh, their player of a generation, no doubt about it, Timu Puki. So it's going to be uh, Denmark and Finland first up and Belgium will play Russia. Another player of a generation in North Macedonia in Group C is uh, Goran Pandev. He, of course, put them into this um in, into this tournament and people in northern Macedonia and here in Australia would have been going delirious. Um, they do have the Netherlands and Austria in the group along with Ukraine and what I think is quite an open group. But Edge, maybe just again from you, North Macedonia, there's a connection. There's always a connection to Australia, but particularly this one. Well, I did pose the question during the week um, if North Macedonia got on a bit of a roll and uh, were able to do something special in this tournament where the celebrations would be held in Melbourne. Obviously, uh, when Greece uh, won the Euros, Ligon Street was just, you know, for half a day, was it was bedlam when Italy won the World Cup in 2006. I can remember getting down to Ligon Street and, again, it was just complete bedlam. And I was just trying to think where the Macedonia fans would... Um, celebrate, and I came up with the reservoir train station because that's where a lot of them live. But Rob thought that was that was a little bit unfair. But I'm, but where I, is I, I, I did? But I can tell you, our our friend Zlady Angelowski, who has been on this show before, um, he he will, there'll be barbecues, backyard barbecues. There'll yeah, be, but there, uh, is there a culturally iconic? Location where no, it, it's a good point, and I'm going to take that one on on advisement, and I'll ask Zlady uh, uh, that one for sure. But uh, but there's there's lots of um, restaurants around town that are run by Northern Macedonians as well. I know even in Ligon Street, the Ligon Street Grill is a is a, a restaurant. Um, but yeah, I will take that on notice, and I'll report back as homework next week. But it'll be uh, if they do get a win, or they get on a bit of a roll and do something that is unexpected of them, Rob. The North Macedonian community will be 
will be jumping and pumping, and uh, that BT Connor Reserve will be they'll, they'll they'll be just having the time of their lives. Yep, absolutely, and all over Australia they represented. I think they will struggle to win a game. I'm sorry, I'm sorry to say that's as lucky there, um, but you know it's a very open group. Um, Austria are solid. Um, Ukraine are definitely solid, managed by Andrei Shevchenko. And well, Netherlands are the obvious favourites. Um, they're flaky, and we know what they're like when they come to major tournaments. They only just drew tour with Scotland. So I think this um, is a very open group, and I think it's very interesting to see what will happen. The last one we'll do in this segment is Group D, Dino. We mentioned that Scotland game where they looked really impressive yeah. against um, they do. the Netherlands. They do. Yeah, Scotland have been uh, really good. Not not just in that game, but their last last run of games. I mean, you know, from the, from the qualification stages, and and I think they've done very well. So I think they're a bit of a smoky, but you know, I'm I'm really still thinking that England and Croatia, and it depends, you know, on how this whole thing starts with that first game, um, and that and how who wins that could really pan out and. And that there is a little bit of a worry that whoever finishes top could also then meet possibly a third place, real hard team to play if when they get to the round of sixteen. <clears throat> so there's, you know, it might be going in as runners up might be a better option. But I've still gone for England to win the group uh, along with Croatia and then Scotland and Czech Republic. Uh, coming forth. Scotland's are my dark horse, not just because I am Scottish, but uh, I do think, you know, talking of form lines that are coming into this, you know, with a bit of momentum following that Netherlands game and plenty of players banging form. We heard from our uh, Croatian uh, pundit earlier warning against any um, complacency in that first game for England. This Croatia team may have aged a little bit like a fine wine, but Modric is still in uh, top form for mm-hmm. Real Madrid. And I was talking to Rob during the week and look, it... England, I just think, you know, they just don't do it against the big teams in the big tournaments. I got there's no evidence to me to suggest, you know, they went to Russia, they lost twice to Belgium, they lost to Croatia, they only got through against Colombia on on penalties. And while this England team, you know, flat track bullies in qualifying, I'm not entirely entirely convinced it's going to be all their own own way albeit they are at home for these games and um you know england tend to do well in home tournaments 1966 and 1996 being the obvious uh examples that we'll come back to um Group E and F in in stoppage time, and we'll see if Rob and uh, Edge have done their homework. But a little bit of um, a little bit of uh, Euro news. I don't know how much has been covered off the top, but um, uh, we will have mentioned Ange Postecoglou, of course, off to of the Celtic, and good luck to Ange and and, and his adventure there. Um, Paolo Fonseca um, is now in talks with Tottenham after Conte. Um, Conte spurned the chance to manage Spurs. And to be honest with you, I'm very happy about this. I was quite worried, uh, Dino, with Conte taking over at Spurs because this is a guy who's won the Premier League. He's won Serie A twice with two different clubs. And uh, yeah. Fonseca doesn't come into this role. He's well, effectively just swapped with Roma, their two managers. Yeah, no, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, I mean, I mean Conte did a fabulous job at um, Chelsea when he was there. Um, but yeah, you're quite right. It's, it's a weird one. So, I mean, what what is most probably also is how many managers are, are actually clubs trying to uh, bring into their, you know, like obviously Wolves have changed managers, and it, it seems like every on every corner there's a, there's a change. So who would be a manager? What about this one, Derek? Uh, it's back to the future for Real Madrid. Six years after sacking Carlo Ancelotti, the Italian makes 
a Lazarus-like return to the Santiago Bernabeu where Ancelotti previously won the Champions League Copa del Rey and the FIFA Club World Cup in 2014. He's also, people forget how successful this man's been. He's won the Premier League with Chelsea, Serie A with Milan, Bundesliga with Bayern Munich. Can the 61-year-old shoot Real Madrid back into Spanish and European contention? What do you think about that, Derek? Well, he kind of breaks the mould, doesn't he? Because he was a fabulous player, Ancelotti, like top, top class Italian footballer. And he's become a top, top class manager. And that isn't often isn't often the way. Um, yeah, his time at Everton was a bit underwhelming and he did have the resources there to make an impact. But yeah, he, he seems to get sacked by clubs after winning. So my my my, um, my advice to Carlo is don't if you want to keep your job, mate, don't don't do too well. Because uh, Chelsea sacked him after winning the double. Uh, Real Madrid sacked him when he won the Champions League. So, uh, you know, uh, Carlo, uh, win at your peril. But, yeah, look, it's a good fit, I think, for them. And just um, wrapping things up, another managerial appointment. And I'll go to our kind of resident Italians in the studio. I know um, Damon's not on the mic, but, uh, you know, honorary Italian Rob is there. Maurizio Sarri has become the Lazio manager. And I just think it's the golden rule in Italian football that every manager has to manage every club. Uh, it's, it's just, it just doesn't happen in the Premier League to the same degree. I know you could look at Mourinho and in that as, a, as, as, as an outlier, but Sarri has now managed uh, Napoli and he's managed Juventus and he's managed Lazio. Surely Rob Inter must be on the horizon. Yes, maybe they will be, but um, Sarri, it's going to be interesting to see how he comes back after being the legacy was well and truly uh, reflected on when Chelsea won the Champions League, the Sarri ball influences that, uh, that that were still there. So uh, we'll watch him with great interest. And as I noticed, Damo, they're nodding in the, the distance, agreeing uh, sagely as he does. All right, we're going to wrap it up there, boys. We're going to uh, head over to stoppage time in a moment. We're going to wrap up the rest of the Euro groups next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal Yes, this is Box to Box. And hasn't it been a busy show this week? We've got eight minutes according to the fourth official to bring the last couple of Euro groups home. But before we do, our friends at Storage King, they've got a great deal on this June. So if you're decluttering, moving, renovating, or just need more space, Storage King. They've got their crack team of storage Professionals, they will help you find the right space for your storage solution. As I said, an amazing deal right now. Move in before June 30 and you'll get $100 worth of boxes and packing materials for free. Some conditions do apply. Get onto storageking.com.au to find your nearest store. Storage King, they will give you back some space. That's why they're called the kings of storage moving and more. All right, we've got a couple of groups left there. Derek, who, who are you going to give the honour to for this one? Well, I've been boring and going in exact group order, so we'll go with Group E, which I gave to you, Rob, and mm. I, thought, I thought it was a bit of a hospital pass. You know, I looked at mm. that and went, oh, Poland, Slovakia, Sweden, it's going to need a little bit of research here. Um, mm. Spain, the obvious contenders in this group, but what's your analysis of this group? Yeah, well, look, um, it, it's, it's not, not not the group of death. They just got that one. But, uh, you know, Luis Enrique's got Spain uh, coming off the back of uh, three pretty ordinary performances in the last um, few Euros and World Cup uh, off the back of, you know, their incredible run uh, where the uh, the tiki-taka ruled and they won two Euros and, and a World Cup. Uh, the... Um, 
Memories of that uh, that era are, are long gone. And would you believe that there is not one Real Madrid player selected in the squad uh, for, for this Spanish side? Um, they uh, play all of their home games in Seville. So, you know, that uh, home ground advantage that we've talked about um, throughout the show so far is going to be well and truly in play for them. So my sense is that um, with the young squad, they've got Gerard Moreno, uh, 29 years old, scored 30 goals for Villarreal. Um, they won the Europa League, as we know, against Manchester United. So I'm predicting, uh, you know, a serious uh, result for them. And watch out for Mikhail Ayazabal. He um, also helped Real Sociedad, um, you know, win the, the postponed Copa del Rey in April. So, um, you know, so many uh, so many stories around Spain, and I think they're due to, uh, to to come back. I mean, Sweden, let's not underestimate them as well. Of course, you know, they did keep um, Italy out of the last World Cup. And, uh, you know, since he took over in um, uh, 2016, 16, Yanni Anderson has won 50% of the games in charge. He's made the quarterfinals of the, the 2018 World Cup as well. So they, they didn't just go there to make up the numbers. And even though Zlatan is, is not playing, you know, at 80 to 1, I give them, uh, you know, a, a puncher's chance uh, um, to, uh, to you know, do something and, and certainly um, a, a chance to get out of the group. But the big challenge, of course, is that they've got to uh, finish one of the best third place uh, teams because Spain, I think, and Poland will be the, uh, the two teams that, that go through. We all know Lewandowski uh, is. Um, just that amazing powerhouse. He scored 53 goals in 46 games for club and country this season. And he broke the record in the Bundesliga campaign. So Poland have got to be considered as a, a genuine threat. But you know, let's not count out Slovakia. I mean, they uh, they did well in in the last Euros. So they're 250 to one. I love Martin Dubravka in gold, the Newcastle uh, um, custodian. So uh, you know, th- this is going to be an entertaining group, and I, I just don't think there's any guarantees. Edge, we gave you the group of death, as they call it. Group F. Um, is it a group of death if all three can qualify from this group? I think that's the point that uh, is being overlooked because of the the way the tournament goes. That these the top three teams should go through potentially, but obviously France reigning World Cup champions, Portugal reigning European champions, and perennial heavyweight Germany alongside Hungary, who are sure to be the whipping boy of this group. Um, France, obviously Didier Deschamps, um, he should be able to coach an autopilot, shouldn't he, Derek? Pick the team and let them uh, work their magic. Pogba, N'Golo Kante, uh, Antoine Griezmann, he's um, obviously, and, and he's joined back, he's joined by Kareem Benzema, who all of them will be unstoppable. But it's Kylian Mbappe, who uh, I want to discuss. Um, he's 22 years of age, he's a FIFA World Cup winner, a global superstar, and and only now entering his prime. Um, will Euro 2021 be the tournament that changes uh, his trajectory forever? Will he challenge Ronaldo and Messi to become the recognised best player in the world? He's got a remarkable background, grew up in Bondi, multi- multicultural suburb in northeast Paris. His father was born in Cameroon, his mother in Algeria. He's a product of French colonial immigration. His father, Wilfred, and uncle were football coaches at the local club. His mother played um, uh, national handball. Um, he has an adopted brother, uh, Coco, who was a journeyman career in professional football in France. You know, northeast of Paris, it's a football breeding ground. Pobga, uh, Matuidi, Kante, Mares, they've all um, uh, learned their football not uh, more than three kilometres from where he uh, learned his. So for me, um, you know, uh, 
this tournament, uh, like last, uh, like the last year's, was all about Ronaldo and his breathtaking performances. I think this could be all about Mbappe's, and uh, he might just take them all the way. Um, can Portugal provide enough support to the Serie A top goal scorer in Cristiano Ronaldo? We know how. Um, the last edition of the European Championships, he was, as I mentioned before, breathtaking. But it's five years on. I'm not sure that he can do it again. Germany, well, they've been underperforming, haven't they? Um, when you mention them against their lofty standards, but you never write off uh, Joachim Lowe, Yogi, you never like write him off. Um, and Hungary, well, they should get on the beers. They should enjoy the COVID-19 bubble experience in six-star hotels and take advantage of the all the, all the um, expenses paid for minibars because uh, they're going home with three losses. Uh, France, to top the group for me, uh, I think uh, Germany will get over Portugal because I think they've got an ageing list and, and uh, as I mentioned, the boys from Hungary, they'll be enjoying the minibar. Very good. It's très bon. Um, Hungary, Rob and I were talking about Hungary this week, and actually they've got a bit of a form line. I take all of your points. It really should be that those three that you mentioned, but I don't think they're the whipping boys no, uh, um, potentially. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they go against Portugal. You know, they might nick a result in that game, and you never you never know, but there's there's plenty of, of firepower. Maybe just go for the final word to Dino. He's been very patient there. Dino, this group, I mean, make a case for Germany. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I've, I've backed them in. I mean, France goes without saying. I saw them dismantle Wales. Uh, and again, it was only friendly. Um, and, you know, a bit of a dodgy sending off as well. But anyway, we'll put that to one side. But no, I think you can't look really back from um, France and Germany. But I think Portugal will push them all the way. So again, Hungary, I, I can't really mount a case, but it's definitely, it could be that all the communities uh, go through. Can't wait. It's going to be early morning our time. Um, Italy will play uh, Turkey at the Stadio Olimpio. And uh, it's just a smorgasbord for fans like us. Uh, you can get up and watch your Optus Sports app on delay and uh, make sure you don't check your WhatsApp or your SMS notifications for spoilers like Edge, who will do every single thing they can to let you know what scores are overnight, just in case you don't want to get up and you want to get a bit of sleep. Turn your phone off, Royce. Oh, no, I'll turn it down. I'll turn it silent. I'll make sure you can't get me. And um, and if you do, I will let everybody. I'll ring the home. I'll ring the house. Get, speak to your wife, <laughs> Sandra. Right, can you put me on a Rob? Wake him <laughs> up. Right, he doesn't want to talk to me. Tell him it's urgent. Hey, Rob. North Macedonia five. No, no. <laughs> well done. All right, mate. I'll see you next week. Well done, lads. Well done. Thank you for joining us again this week on Box to Box. Next week, there'll be plenty of Euros to tell, plenty of Matildas, plenty of Socceroos action, plenty of A-League action when you join us next week when we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the World Game.